Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. My name is Chase Thomas, and I'm joined as I am every single Sunday night during the college football season. My good friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is. It has been an excellent weekend, I would mm. say. Uh, from, as a as a huge college football fan, like I am, I, uh, I had an awesome time. How about how about yourself? I mean, I don't know if you you saw any of that Tennessee game on Saturday. So I, I it was a it was a great weekend. Putting up some points. Not even punting anymore. Tennessee did not punt, sir. Yeah. So um, I, I owe you an apology for my mm. preseason prediction. Of, mm. Missouri might being able to beat Tennessee. That mm. was an absolute beatdown. <laughs> was it like 28-0 in the first quarter? Yes. The cool. Tennessee scored a touchdown in their first six drives. I um once again, I think this is why I I criticized uh Eli Drinkowitz so much mm. with his pregame shit talk before the Boston <laughs> College game. It's like you're Missouri, bro. Like who who do you think you are? Like just take it easy. And now you've like kind of had this like little arrogant press conference and I even and they weren't blasted but beaten by Boston College and then blasted the next week just not a good look not not positive momentum for the Missouri football program we got a coach fired this weekend that has not been a thing in a long time Tennessee has not been good enough to to force a firing on an opposing coaching staff Mizzou let go their defensive line coach today wow yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Tennessee basically just ran all <laughs> over Missouri. So, <laughs> head coach is like, hey, it's not my fault. It's his fault. Get him. Get this guy out of here. We'll fix it. Well, it is funny because uh, leading up to the week, you know how sometimes like people, they, they just dive in and they're just like, okay, this is the matchup to exploit. This is what's going to happen here. And then, I mean, coaches know this. These are, This is their job to know this and adjust. But like when Tennessee players were asked about what they were excited about uh with this mizzou game they were all chomping at the bit they're like oh we, we've seen the tape we're gonna we're gonna run on mizzou like they're like we're excited about what we're gonna be able to do against mizzou and then they were just like you know what we we did exactly what we saw on tape and um they they had no answer for it whatsoever like there was just nothing it was just like tennessee knew what they were gonna do and then they did it and then they did it again and they did it again and they did it again and then missouri fired their defensive line coach on monday or on Sunday, excuse me. It's a, a rough day, rough weekend for for the Missouri defensive line coach. Um, it was rough, uh, but you know, and then we wrapped up perfectly with this Bucks Pats game tonight in the rain. It was Belichick really losing it. Um, this is a college football podcast, but kicking a field goal, fifty six yarder in the pouring rain uh, on fourth and three. It, didn't it hit off the upright? Or something? It did. A very I mean, loud hard, doink. It's hard to say the terrible call if it, if it helped the upright. I mean, he was that close to making it. No, nah, I just, I don't take that risk. Fourth and three. Mac <laughs> was, Mac was dealing. Mac almost had 20 straight completions. He almost did the Grayson Lambert special. He tied Tom Grayson Brady's record Lambert. with 19 straight. He set a rookie record for most consecutive completions. He was dealing, man. This was a. So who are you rooting for? Were you rooting for Brady or Belichick? I was rooting for Mac, actually. I, I just, I well, I'm never going to root for the Bucks. I mean, it'll be Belichick then. I guess. <laughs> I was actually more rooting for Steve Belichick. Did you see this, this uh, specimen on the sidelines? Mm-hmm. 
I did. I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've heard of such things. It's uh, He has starred in no less than four horror movies. I'm, I'm convinced of that. That man is just... Shout out to Roger Sherman of The Ringer who who tweeted out like every image of like Belichick over the years is somehow more alarming than the other. Like as he's grown up and it's just uh what well, he he is a character. He is a character. Um don't forget folks, you can uh check out chasedonspodcast.com to get access to all of my previous episodes of this very podcast. Uh follow Matt on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore green. Follow myself at Chase Double Underscore Thomas. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, make sure you leave this show a five star rating and a review. Uh, email us, Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com for any college football questions you might have for us. And subscribe to the newsletter, sportsrenaissanceman.subsec.com. Uh, Matt, the headline story of the weekend. You've done the last couple, but I had one for this weekend. I had one yeah, that okay. I was thinking about when I was going through the games, watching everything today, watching as much as I could yesterday. I, I feel uh, vindicated because I, like, I'm not a person who bounces around um, my viewing habits. I, I can't do that. I feel like I don't have an understanding of anything if I do that. So oh, I'm a bouncer. I, I know you are. I know you are. I'm not a bouncer. That's and, why I love the red zone. I mean, I hate the red zone. Me. Yeah. It, it, that there was never if there was ever one thing that was invented just to spite me it was NFL red zone but so also I'm not as in I'm not as big of an NFL fan so I feel like I'm a casual viewer that's mm-hmm. like exactly the kind of NFL consumption I'm looking for that's fair and I think that's how it is for a lot of people especially fantasy folks like people who are really into fantasy that the red zone was literally just made for fantasy purposes and I guess gambling but um where was I going with that what was I saying I don't remember what I was saying um you were talking about uh, uh, that's a good question. Where were you going with it? Oh, you don't. You're not a guy that likes to go around. You don't. Like oh, to- right, right, right. So I was watching all these different games. Oh yeah, I was vindicated. I remember now. So vindicated, and folks, we're recording this 11:45 uh, East Coast time, uh, PM. So bear with us. Bear with us. I've got my tea. I'm doing my best. And uh, I was so I was bouncing around, and then the three o'clock people were all dialed in. Remember Lane Kiffin before the game? Get your popcorn ready, and not only do we not need to get our popcorn ready, we could have taken a nap. We could have just missed that game entirely. And we'll get to Ole Miss, Alabama. But I was like, I don't think this is going to be good. And my gut told me, stick with K-State, Oklahoma. Give them your time. They've earned it. Skylar Thompson's playing. Chris Kleiman's playing. Spencer Rattler's a question mark. It's in K-State. We love the little apple on this podcast, Matt Green. So I gave the it. little apple my time. And I was vindicated. Great game. I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't overcome him at the end, but... A delight, a close affair. K State hung with them. A really physical game. It's a lot of fun. A lot of back and forth. Spencer getting rattled. The fans going after it. Some questionable calls. We had a double kick. Did you see the double onside kick tap in this game? Oh, I don't think I did. Have you ever seen that on an onside kick where the kicker uh, for K State, they did the surprise onside kick midway through the third, double tapped it, and Oklahoma Lincoln Riley challenged it because they gave it to K State on the original call. And then Lincoln Riley saw it. And you, being an anti-Lincoln Riley guy, I, I, I just, I don't know what you can say to this. This is an elite coaching move for him to see <laughs> from the sideline that this K-State kicker double-tapped it. So he kicked it with his front toe and then he hit it with his heel. And you can't do that. You can't hit it twice before. Gotcha. And he challenged it. <laughs> they called it. So it was Oklahoma's ball. That's so elite they coaching right there. That is some elite, elite coaching. Um, but yeah, so I, do, all that being said, 
there were a lot of blowouts. You had Alabama 42, Ole Miss 21. You had Georgia 37, Arkansas 0. Like, college game day going to Athens for that game. We were talking before where it was just like, this is a bad idea. You, Why would you go somewhere where it's an 18.5 point spread? Um, we had Friday, um, Iowa. In terms beat, of the rankings, though, like, what was the better? I mean, maybe Cincinnati Notre Dame. Yeah, Cincinnati Notre Dame. They did course. just do a Notre Dame game like the week before, right? So. Well, that was in Soldier Field. Um, they could have done, I mean, there, you could have done Oklahoma state Baylor. That was a close one. We figured that'd be close. Yeah. You could have done LSU Auburn figured that'd be close. You could have done wake Louisville. When are you going to go to wake? Give me a reason to go to wake. Um, I don't know. There were better options. And my whole thing is just that like you look at it and Kirby talked about this. There's the elite and then there's everybody else. Um, after talking about this game and when the elite faces off against everybody else right now, it's just, they're blowing everybody else out. And it feels like when things get bad, things get bad in a hurry in college football. The explosive play factor is a huge thing. Like Tennessee, Mizzou was over in midway through the first quarter. Like midway through the first, it was done. Like just done. Um, I don't know. I just, I'm wondering if you've noticed that this season that there have been a lot of games that have gotten out of hand really quickly. And you were like, man, is it just how football is played now where the explosive play factor and then these other anemic offenses that can only dink and dime people to death it gets oh like ohio state they got away from rutgers quick you can go up and down the list of a lot of different scores and it just seems like that is where we're going in college football when the explosive plays are working um, and you're playing an offense that has no downfield action whatsoever it gets ugly quick yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's been like any more upsets than, than, or not upsets, but any more blowouts than a normal season. I think with with Georgia and Alabama, I think you're just seeing like just the two dominant teams kind of rise to the top right now. But in terms of everyone else, like I feel like this this seems like a it feels like a throwback college football season. Like I would I would have agreed with you like the last like three or four seasons. Hmm. It feels like we've gotten some chalk, like you know, like. There's been the occasional, you know, Iowa, Purdue over Ohio State, you know, or Oklahoma tripping up against an unranked team. But for the most part, Alabama and Clemson have just kind of just done exactly what they're supposed to do. And that's why we've kind of seen this repetitive college football playoff final four that's everyone kind of knows who's going to be in it every year. Like, I mean, just so far, I mean, just this past week, we had what three, three or four top 10 teams lose. Granted, one of them was to one of the top, another top 10, or two of them were to another top 10 teams. But I think we're, it feels like a throwback year in terms of just unpredictability, like with Florida going to Kentucky and losing and Oregon going to Stanford and losing. Like, I feel like we're still, I think every year the great teams kind of separate themselves. And I think that's what you're seeing. But in terms of like the big upsets, like I don't, I don't think this year is any anything different. Like I, I'm really excited to see how the Big Ten shakes out because, like, none of those teams are really up blowing out anybody. Like obviously Ohio State did blow out Rutgers this week, but all of these teams that are around the top 10, 11, they're all going to end up playing each other for the most part. And I think it's, I think we're going to be in for some good games. Well, we're getting that showdown that you're asking for this weekend. Is that where game day is going to be? Iowa State or Iowa Penn State? No, I guess because it's at Penn State and they've already been there. But it's oh. going to be uh, Oklahoma Texas this week. Oh, which, 
Ugh. Yeah, Iowa Ugh. Penn State. That's big time. I mean, they have it to an Iowa yeah. game and a Penn State game, so maybe that's why. But I mean, when is Penn State Iowa ever going to be number three versus number four? Like this is this is huge. Ugh. Okay. Well, yeah. What a mess for game day this year. Two. You have Georgia Arkansas this week. You had two neutral site games. Man, I don't know. I think they like going to neutral site games, though. Yeah, I think that's like they go more like space, going to like different locations that they haven't done before. Yeah, um, we're gonna do a new segment, Matt Green. The the Matt Green, your last name, you're familiar, Green. Um, we're gonna put a spin on it, Green Line. Yeah, it's your stat of the week, the Matt Green Line. What is your what is your stat for me of the weekend? Well, my, uh, my stat of the weekend, um, you know, it's hard to pick one for this mm. Georgia defense because they're just unbelievable, the things they're doing right now. But the stat of the weekend I have is that this defense has scored, defense and special teams have now scored through five games. They've scored 23 points on their own and allowed just 13. So just absurd what this defense is doing right now. And you saw another game... <laughs> Georgia's offense literally could have not taken the field, and Georgia would have won this game seven to zero. Um, and just with what this defense and now defense and special teams has done so far this year, so Georgia defense getting the getting the stat of the week. Well, we'll talk more about this Georgia defense momentarily. Let's get into our, our pick'em recap. Matt Green, how did it go? All right, so this was a this was a solid week for you. Oh, um, against the spread, still, you know. Okay. Not not making a comeback, on you, <laughs> but uh, you made some you made some moves overall. So overall on the weekend, you went eight and three. Oh, okay. And six and five against the spread. Eight and three. That's your best. Uh, that's your best total of of uh, the season. Six and five ties for your best weekend against the spread. I was six and five overall, mm. my worst weekend of the season, and uh, six and five against the spread as well. So, and then also Zeus, you know, oh. Friday night, oh. Maryland really, uh, really let him down. Home dog of the week, what were they a six, six and a half point underdog? Something I think? like that, yeah. And they lost by what, 51 14 or something like that? Well, Man. Iowa scored three touchdowns in like three minutes. Like it unraveled so quick. I watched that game back. It, it Maryland was winning after the first quarter and they were looking okay. And then the turnovers and penalties and it just like exploded in one quarter. It went from Maryland's doing pretty okay to, oh, this game's over at the end of the half. Yeah. Also, did you hear that just now? I think I think Leah Tagovailoa just threw another another <laughs> Like, well, they also five, just lost eight, their best receiver for the year. For Maryland, their five star went out in this game. He bent his leg, and Rakeem that was a big problem. Jarrett got hurt in this one. Who? Rakeem Jarrett. No, not Rakeem Jarrett. The other. Uh, yeah. uh, duh, what's his name? Um, Dowers. What is it? Uh, I should know this. It's a double D name. What is his name? Uh, Dante Demas Jr. That yes, guy? Demas. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Zeus's home dog of the week was a uh, you know first loss this season, so not not great. But he's gonna get back in the win column next week. Yeah. Poor poor Zeus. Poor Zeus. I was watching Walter Nolan up close when you were texting me about that because I was like, I, I saw Walter Nolan up close, Matt Green, and um, just a gigantic man just enthralled by how big they were using him on fullback dives 
He scored a touchdown in this game <laughs> on Friday. He is incredibly slow, but he is gigantic. And the student section for Powell was just chanting Walter Nolan a lot during this game. Um, a lot of Kim Dietschy vibes I got from, from watching him, I'll say. Mm. Um, so, pick up. Is, that a, is mm. that a positive and negative? What? Well, I mean, Kimbichi in high vibes? school was uh, okay. an absolute monster. So only the good stuff. Yeah, just okay. the good stuff. Like, on the field, it's the, the Kimbichi, uh, the same kind of thing. Um, all right, let's get into our Pick'em game recap. Matt Green, 42 for Alabama, Ole Miss 21. Uh, Ole Miss had a garbage time touchdown there at the end um, to make it look a little bit better than it really was. Robinson Jr. ran all over him. This was like a, a vintage Alabama crockpotting, right? Like they just, they did everything to make sure that you did not want to watch this football game and make it as least fun as humanly possible for Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Rebels. Matt Corral's Heisman candidacy is over. Um, One game, it's over? Lose it's Alabama, over, yeah. It's over? Yeah. Oh man, that's rough. It's over. I mean, your quarterback gets over for him. You, you, that's what's weird, too. It's like, I don't even know who the favorite is, but, like, if I look at the Ole Miss calendar, I'm seeing at least one or two more losses, and I just don't think uh, I don't think he's going to be able to do it. But then there's, like, no clear leader right now in the Heisman chase. Like, there's no one that just, like, jumps off the page, I don't think. Hey, um, I'm starting the uh, Jordan Davis for Heisman. Okay. I mean, honestly... Okay. <laughs> I'm saying, like, defensive players need to be considered for the Heisman Trophy. But, yeah, um, but yeah just with, with this Ole Miss game, like, do you think Lane Kiffin got careless with the fourth, with the fourth, like, just continuing to go for it on fourth down? Like, I understand, like, in the red zone, especially you picked up on that first drive, like, you picked up multiple fourth downs. And just to the idea of to beat Bama, we got to get sevens. We can't beat them with threes. Like, I get that. But then when you're in your own territory, I don't know, at, at, at some point it felt like it was getting a little reckless. I I think you throw everything out when it's Alabama. I really do. Like, when you are playing, unless you have, unless you're Georgia, like, unless you're Ohio State, unless you're Clemson, I am doing what Kiffin did. Like, it didn't work, but, like, you have nothing to lose against Alabama if you're in Tier 2. If you're in Tier 1, talent-wise then yeah, you you play like you're, you belong and you play a little bit more conservative and give your defense more opportunities and stuff like that. Um, you play for tomorrow. But if I'm tier two, no, I'm playing for right now, constantly. Yeah, that's fair. I um, It just, it, it felt like it also contributed to this game getting out of hand. You mm. know? I mean, you're only, yeah. you're only down 14-0 and you're going for it on your own 31-yard line. Like, well, yeah, it's it's cool if you get it, but if you don't, I mean, you might as well put 21 on the board. Like, So, also, Lane Kiffin, I feel like, earned a bunch of points last week with Michael Wilbon, like, just talking nonsense about him, <laughs> like an eight-year-old t- take about who Lane Kiffin was as, like, a person. And Lane Kiffin came out looking like, you know, he came out looking good after that situation. But this pregame interview... Like, right before this game started, which is a weird custom in general. Like, the game's literally about to start. Like, not trying to talk to a reporter. But, like, I don't know. It just came off as so douchey. Like, get your popcorn ready. Throw the headset off. Like, I don't know. It it rubbed me the wrong way. What do you think? It He's leaning into it a little bit too much. He's leaning into it a little bit too much. Like, 
I I don't know. It's he's in the right place for it. I guess it would bother me more if he wasn't at Ole Miss. Does that make sense? Where it's just like this is the most Ole Miss thing possible, and this fan base will eat this stuff up, and none of it's gonna fall back on him. Like it's, but it's just right before the game starts. Yeah. It's like get your popcorn ready, and then now we're down twenty eight zero. It's <laughs> like that's just it's a terrible look. It's just it did not age well. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, next game, Georgia. Your Georgia Bulldogs 37, Arkansas 0. JT Daniels, another mysterious injury. He was suited up and then was a late scratch for this one. That's like, I think that was pretty offensive to Sam Pittman and this Arkansas staff. They were like, mm, I think JT could have played. And they were like, I think we can beat Arkansas with our backup. I think we can beat Arkansas with the mailman is my uh, conspiracy take on this i honestly think that's kind of how georgia thinks i think they might be able to run this table like go undefeated the entire regular season with stetson bennett as the quarterback but i don't think they can win a national championship with stetson bennett necessarily like i mean if his defense is doing what they're doing every week like me or you could win a national championship playing quarterback at georgia but i think if if you're just worried about the postseason like if that's what jt daniels needs to be healthy for then like continue to trot Stetson Ben out there. He's proved he's a he's a capable backup. Like, I mean, Georgia blew out Arkansas and Auburn last season when they were a much worse team than they are this year with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. So, you know, this year they got to, like next week, they got to go, you know, at Auburn with, with I guess, Stetson Bennett again. But Auburn yeah, I mean, this week is so weird. Yeah, it's a weird one for sure. Um, Georgia has now recorded back-to-back shutouts in SEC games for the first time since 1980. It's last national championship season that uh, came from ESPN's Heather Dinch. Dinch. Was 1980 Georgia's last championship? It was. I've, I've never heard anyone ever mention that year. Yeah. Um, a lot of crazy, just bonkers uh, Georgia stats. But when people talk about stats, it's like he didn't do anything. Stetson, so Georgia ran the ball 56 times like Todd Monken was just bashing his head into the wall calling this game Kirby he would like be like can we can we air it out a little bit can I get Kiaris Jackson involved Kirby's like no where's our next running back put him in McIntosh Monken wasn't enjoying just calling run play after run play just five yards after five yards after five yards I don't think an offensive coordinator is is mad just running it all over somebody Todd Monken is absolutely mad about running it all over somebody Mike Leach would be mad about running it all over somebody yes there are absolutely coordinators I think offensive coordinators want to score points mm. no, no 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 they want to do explosive plays they want to do their cool stuff they want to they want to show off a little bit they want to run their system this is not think, their system I think this game showed you just kind mm-hmm. of how complete Georgia is as a team I mean for yeah. one this is a top 10 matchup and your your starting quarterback just kind of randomly out of out of the blue isn't available <laughs> like it's just kind of crazy like you just kind of heard whispers on friday night like oh your jason daniels actually might not play and then i was like whatever that's kind of curvy just gamesmanship or whatever and then he just legit didn't play so it was kind of uh it was kind of crazy in that respect but like georgia's like obviously the clemson game the offense didn't do much of anything but the last several weeks, like Georgia's been hitting explosive plays in the passing game each week, mm. so much to the point that fans are starting to question, oh, maybe this offensive line isn't as good at running the ball. So then to face a team that, like Arkansas that's been so good defensively and not even have to pass the ball just 
take what the defense gives you and just pound it all over them. Like this, this four headed monster of uh, James Cook, Zamir White, Kenny McIntosh, and Kendall Milton, they were 50 for 260 and three <laughs> touchdowns. So, I mean, those four guys, like, I mean, if you're going to get 250 plus yards on the ground, like, you're going to win a lot of games you play. Wait, did you see uh, Zeus the way he kept his knee up for that one of those touchdowns? Yeah, man, that should be in a in a catalog for whoever <laughs> that orthopedic surgeon is. Right? Like, both reconstructed ACLs. Like mm-hmm. this man is doing some some gymnastics to to keep his knees up on that one. Incredible, incredible. But, but yeah, this Georgia defense right now averaging 177 yards per game allowed. Yeah, that's, that's not happening. Period. 177 mm-hmm. passing and rushing. Like they're first in the country in passing yards allowed, fifth in the country in rushing yards allowed. 4.6 points per game they're allowing, and 2.6 technically just only the only the, on the defense because of the the one pick six they threw. But yeah, this this defense is just absurd. I honestly, I kind of before the game was questioning like. I feel like that's the one thing I don't like coming out of this game is it feels like more people are taking this, not that Georgia's this good. They're taking it that, oh, I guess Arkansas was overrated. Hmm. But I I was kind of questioning the legitimacy of Arkansas coming into this game. And so, you know, with, with Texas, like Hudson Card got benched. Like that's the Texas team they played. Like A&M, their offense has just been awful. So then to see them come out, and obviously Georgia looks like maybe the best team in the country, but – like they didn't even put up a fight for a second. Like, I think there's a chance that Arkansas is still in the lower half of the SEC West. Like, yeah, by the time, this season. Uh, by the time it's all said and done. Did you see those CJ Stroud numbers this weekend? Yeah, I did. He's uh, looking efficient. I because uh, now people have gone the complete other way with this stuff. Where I saw, I think it was David Hale does his tears. Uh, for ESPN.com, good college football writer, but he had like, I don't think he had Ohio State in any of his tiers. And I was like, we've lost our minds. Like, we now, like, they lost to Oregon, and Oregon obviously going down. We'll get to that game against Stanford. I watched the whole thing of that one. Um, Ohio State's coming, and they're in tier one. Like, Ohio State's offense puts them in tier one. Like, Oklahoma could be if they figured out their offense, but they, it seems like that's just not going to be the case this year. So they're a write off team for me. But, Ohio State's just got too much talent. They have the best receivers in the country. CJ Stroud's figuring some stuff out. They have a five-star running back. They the offense is there to give people problems. And man, I don't. And shout out to your brother again. We're giving him all kinds of free shout-outs here. But um, remember when I got laughed at when I was like, Tennessee's offense is uh, it's coming. The the Tennessee offense is right around to the corner. To be fair, I mm-hmm. didn't I didn't laugh at that as much as they're going to score just, points against Georgia. Thirty five on Georgia. Like, it's very possible still. Yes, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. You're at least thinking about it more now, right? Like you're you're after putting it, sixty plus it is on Mizzou. A more legitimate statement. Okay. Than it was when he first made it, but I don't know. I still see it. Like I can now see them maybe scoring twenty. Mm. Before I couldn't even see them scoring twenty. So maybe you know maybe baby steps. And Hendon Hooker, the offense does look a lot better too. I mean, Tion Evans is a superstar. Um, Tion Evans is baby Kamara. Like he had a ninety-two yard run that was just bonkers. Um, Tion's gonna be star, and uh, not even going to be. He is a star, and uh, the best. He'll be the best running back in that game. Uh, no question about it. Um, Stanford thirty-one, Oregon twenty-four. Did you see how this game ended, Matt? 
I did. And also, what year were we watching this? <laughs> this like 2002? Like, it was like pre-HD. What was happening? It was like when we, remember when we watched Oregon, Oregon State during the off season? Yeah. That's what really this looked was. like. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I don't know what happened there. Rod Gilmore on the call. Shout out to Rod. Um, those games are always great. But um, with a minute and 51 left in the game, unranked Stanford at its own eight-yard line, Oregon had a 99.9 chance to win, according to ESPN's win probability model. Obviously, we know what happened. There was a pass interference. Kayvon Thibodeau got tossed for targeting. Do you think that was targeting? No, I did not think that was targeting at all. I didn't think so either. I just, yeah, it's, I feel like the on the quarterback is not even like the targeting we're talking about. It's like mm-hmm. the aggressive plays in the secondary, like on receivers. Like that's like the real targeting that's like a safety issue. Like, ah, I don't know. Targeting grinds my gears. Anyway, you can keep going. I didn't like it. Um, Oregon was leading most of this game. Tanner Key was doing some stuff. Um, he's got an arm. Like that was something I'd written down. It was just like the dis- Like it's completely different the way Stanford and Oregon play offense. Like night and day. Like just a completely different world that these two schools are operating in. Anthony Brown could not go downfield to save his life. Um, we finally saw what the limitations with him at QB were. He ran the ball well. He found the guys out in the flat who could do some yak stuff, but was not impressed with him at all. Uh, Oregon loses because they give up a bad pass interference call in the end zone. I don't think that was pass interference either. Um, that ended up leading to a uh, free down or a time expired down. Fourth and goal, Tanner McKee finds another goal line fade on the left side. Uh, Stanford wins, but uh, man, Oregon, bad loss. The Pac-12 now. Are, can we shut the... No, you know what? I'm not going to do it. Do you know why I'm not going to do it? Because, Matt Green... My Oregon State Beavers. What do they do? They go in. They knock off UW. Jonathan Smith doing a great post-game locker room speech. Wake Forest undefeated. Oregon State undefeated. I'm not saying that it's time to talk to your children about Oregon State being in the college football playoff in 2022. But I'm also not not saying that, Matt Green. But in all seriousness, the Pac-12 with Oregon's loss is this... uh, it's just the nail in the coffin for them to finally get back in the college football playoff next year or this year, I guess. Probably like with, with what we've seen so far, like there's been a lot of top 10 teams losing. Like we've kind of seen a little more upsets than we have in the last couple years. So I'm not going to rule it out completely, but I feel like the, the, the two sec teams is feeling like more and more of an, an inevitability uh, easy for me to say, and then I feel like with all the with all the uh, Big Ten teams right there around the top ten, like I feel like the Big Ten champion is going to get in. So there's just not that many spots left, and Oregon losing definitely hurts the Pac-12 chances. Although Can Arizona I give you State, a take that I don't know if will be popular? Loss, but they're not even ranked. So can I give you a take that? that I think might not be popular that I would do as of right now, and that my gut's telling me is the true case. But they the college football playoff just can't do this. What's that? I think you do two SEC, two Big Ten. Mm. I, I, uh, I, I could see it. It depends on how things shake out. Mm-hmm. Like if Iowa, if Iowa ran the table the whole way mm-hmm. and then lost to Ohio State in the Big Ten championship, yeah. there's a chance. But but if Oklahoma's undefeated in that scenario, Oklahoma's in. Like but, even Oklahoma hasn't looked good. Yeah. 
I actually I had a scenario I thought of. Mm. Here, I want to throw this out to you. Okay. So so say yeah, like we all kind of assume Georgia and Alabama going defeated. One of them beats the other. In the uh, honestly, if Georgia beats Alabama, you guarantee Alabama getting in. If Alabama beats Georgia, <laughs> it's like then there's kind of some question. Mm-hmm. But let's just assume both the SEC, both those SEC teams get in, and then you have Oklahoma undefeated, Cincinnati undefeated, and then a one-loss champion Ohio State from the or obviously from the Big Ten. Like who gets in in that scenario? Wait, say that one more time. So Georgia, Alabama. Mm-hmm. You know, one of them has one loss that's right. the championship. Cincinnati's undefeated. Oklahoma's mm-hmm. undefeated. Mm-hmm. And Ohio State is a one loss. Oh, Cincinnati's out. No question. Cincinnati, but right now, Cincinnati is number five and Oklahoma's number six. If Oklahoma's so like, going undefeated, and Oklahoma's strength of schedule is still better. Like, Cincinnati's schedule looks terrible. I think they're like number 72 right now in the country. So you think that Big Ten team is getting in over both of, like, would you rank them both, have both of those undefeated teams? I would. Because I think if Ohio State gets in at that point, they get wins over Penn State, Michigan, Iowa. Yes, Michigan that's a better State. strength of schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I could see that too, but I I would assume Cincinnati gets left out. But um, Cincinnati's still getting left out. We're all talking about this. And that was their biggest game of the year. Notre Dame might just not be very good. I think Notre Dame's still going to be favored in every game the rest of the way, and they could still very much go eleven and one. But it's not a not a great. Notre I do Dame team. think Notre Dame is not that good, but. The law, the win could still mean something. Like if Notre Dame can still be a ten and two, eleven and one type team, you know. So do you know who Cincinnati I know. I needs? Rule out Cincinnati getting in the playoff, especially because Oklahoma just tends to lose. Like even when they're great and scoring seventy a game and blowing teams out, they like just tend to lose one of those games. And they've kind of been playing with fire all year this year. So I, I feel like this, the chances of them going undefeated, I'm I'm still skeptical of. And I feel like if Oklahoma's got one loss. I put a Cincinnati in over a one-loss Oklahoma Big 12 champion. I probably would too, but that's just because of what I've seen from Oklahoma this year. Um, but I also think, you know what Cincinnati needs? But they won't. Like, Ohio State's not going to play them now. That's what they need. They need Ohio State on the calendar every year. Like, that's what beefs up their schedule and gives them everything. Like, they need Ohio State on the calendar. For a second, I thought you were going to say they need the perfect cheer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember the you remember the cheerleaders, right? SNL, Will Ferrell. Yes. Classic, but I don't know. Just the way you said it, like, what do they need? They need the perfect cheer. I don't know. It's funny. We keep we keep it moving. Um, speaking of Oklahoma, Oklahoma thirty-seven, Kansas State thirty-one. Matt Green, Skyler Thompson, valiant effort. Deuce Vaughn did what he could. Great defensive effort from K State. They just did not. Have put them away. They no. just kept hang, kept hanging around. But um, Spencer Rattler was better. I'll say he was better in this game, for sure. And now Oklahoma now has a 14 yard touchdown mm. versus uh, versus FBS competition. So getting that explosive offense up there. Cincinnati 24. Like 40 yard pay to to Denzel Mims in this one. They did. They did. Um, do you think Eric Gray's maybe thinking he may have made the wrong choice transferring out to Oklahoma? Yeah, maybe. I thought he was just going to be a plug in and mm-hmm. you know kind of be the star in that backfield. I'm, I'm kind of surprised how it's worked out. And I, Tennessee's offense looks like a like a good one to play in. Yeah, Tion Evans, 92 yarder. He he almost broke the the record. This he should have had four TDs. He had the fourth, and they pulled it for. I I digress. I won't go down this rabbit hole. But uh, yeah, Eric Gray. Made the wrong decision, but you hate to see it. 
you hate to see it. Uh, Cincinnati, 24. Notre Dame, 13. Oof. Okay. So, this is about what we expected. I, I think we both picked Cincinnati to win this game. But Notre Dame's offense, man, like, it's not getting fixed this year. We can just go ahead and pencil it in. It's not getting fixed. Desmond Ritter, I think Cincinnati just needed to look better. They needed to look better than this. And for me, I didn't come away going, this is one of the four best teams in the country. This I came away from this game going, if I'm Cincinnati, I don't want to be in the playoff because I don't want to see the 44-7 to drubbing that Bama or, or Georgia is giving this, this group this year. I think Cincinnati I mean, might be worse. You obviously want to yeah. be in the playoff. Though. Do you like, want that drubbing on national I television? Mean, straight up, the money alone, I'm yeah, sure I guess so. you want it. But... And just the exposure of just being in the college football playoff, being yeah. talked about for a month straight in preparation for that game. Like, well, they're getting it basically for five months straight because all ESPN talks about is the playoff. Like immediately, everything's playoff implications. Everything is like it, everything's about it now. They talk about it so much, even on the broadcast. True. But I feel like this one, it's hard to ignore the the low key playoff implication from this game because of. They're both these teams kind of where they're ranked and moving forward. It's like they might not have another really tough game on the schedule. Which yeah. Obviously, that's not a good reason to be one of the top to be picked to be one of the top four teams. But you could see you could see Cincinnati getting in after that. And I feel like it's obviously wasn't pretty, but I don't know. This is kind of what Notre Dame does. Like you got also have to respect Notre Dame in this and like. They just play ugly games with teams, and to be able to go on the road and, and beat Notre Dame in that atmosphere. Also, Cincinnati looked like they had about 30, 40% of the, the fans in that one, too. Mm. The Bearcats were traveling, but um, yeah, I mean, this has to be a huge win. Like, maybe Notre Dame's overrated, but you can't say it's not a huge win. Like, maybe the biggest win in school history for, for Cincinnati. Also, what does Brian Kelly have to be thinking right now, right? Like... You, he bounced like I wouldn't say left on bad terms necessarily with Cincinnati, but like he had that undefeated season and then bounced. He's not right, regretting right being the, the all-time Bowl. wins leader at Notre Dame. But what? I'm just saying, he bounced right before the Sugar Bowl with uh-huh. Tim Tebow and everything. This like, is a take right here. I was just kind of I don't know. I would just be salty if I was on that Cincinnati team and it's like this is the biggest game in school history. Coaches now taking another job just bounces on us. And then, like, a decade later, first time you play Cincinnati, you lose to them? Like, I imagine you left Cincinnati because, like, they didn't have the ceiling that Notre Dame has. And obviously, he's had a lot of success in Notre Dame. But to get beat by your former school like that, I don't know. It's got to sting. It's got to feel some kind of way. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying he regrets his decision. But this game had to mean something, like, extra special to him. And to lose it, like, that's got to sting a little bit. I mean, I guess it probably it, it, he didn't love it. College football coaches don't like losing, though. They all hate losing way more than they enjoy winning. That's, so. that's the expert analysis you get on this show. Coach <laughs> not happy about loss. No, he's not. That's uh, <laughs> like Alex Rodriguez's crooked letter uh, analysis. Like you know, those 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 getting one run in the inning is good. But whenever you can get a crooked letter, that's that's better. It's like okay, Alex, thanks. Scoring two runs is better than scoring one. Thank you. Thank you for that. Oh, you're going to love this next game we have to hit. Um, Kentucky 20, Florida 
13, Florida loses at Kentucky for the first time since November 15th, 1986, Macron. Yeah, that's crazy. The last, I think, it's the last five Florida head coaches have not lost, had not mm. lost to uh, Kentucky in their entire tenure. And mm. Dan Mullen has now lost to Kentucky twice in, in, in four years. I, uh, this game was just weird. Like, this game was also, it was just, I was waiting for Kentucky to blow it. I was waiting for Kentucky to, to not win this game because they gave every opportunity for Dan Mullen and this group to to win. Like Kentucky's offense is broken. Like this offense still sucks. Like Liam Cohen has not fixed a dang thing here. Um, this is from ESPN's David Hale. Kentucky was outgamed by 158 yards Saturday. The Wildcats managed 13 first downs total. They completed seven passes, but uh, Florida had 15 penalties. Blocked field goal that ended up being a touchdown. Um, and then we learned the the Wildcats quarterback, Will Levis, the, the Penn State transfer. Um, he eats bananas with the peel on and puts mayo in his coffee. So an absolute uh, oh sicko, like an, <laughs> like an absolute sicko. And uh, I can't I can't even begin to fathom either of those two facts about this person. But um, which is worse for you? What would you be less likely to do? Eat a banana with a peel on it or mayo in your coffee? Um, that's, that's a tough one. Well, to start, it's a tough one because I'm not a coffee person, mm. but mayonnaise and coffee just sounds so disgusting, but I'm not going to eat a banana like that either. So I don't know. Those are just both, this is both disgusting, disgusting things. But if they're, you're on fear factor and you have like $150,000 in the line, you have to pick one. What do you do? I'm going, I'm going banana. I, I would go banana too. I think I would actually puke with mayo and coffee. Yeah, I think so. Um, which naturally but, uh, brings us back to this game because I puked while watching a lot of this, this floor. The one thing I'll say, like they, you know, they outgained them what 150 something total more, more total yards and held Kentucky to only 13 first downs. But I also think it's, that's Dan Mullen's thing of just kind of playing keep away. Like time of possession was 36 to 23 in this one. Like, mm-hmm. Florida, it seemed like, had the ball the entire game. And obviously, Kentucky's biggest play of the game was, I don't know, do you call that a kick six? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know exactly what. But that play, man, that those are the kind of plays that I feel like happen in college football that don't happen in the pros. Just those craziness things that yeah. I, just, I just love it. And I, think, I feel like the, what I was pointing to the most in this game, like I wanted to make this my home dog of the week. I hate that I didn't. Mm. I did take Kentucky uh, to keep it close, but I thought Florida would come out, would just uh, win, and it and it felt felt like, like you said at the end, like this is kind of one of those games versus Florida that Kentucky just blows, and Florida figures out a way to win at the end. But um, but this Florida offense, like I, that's what I was surprised about, is just they seem so just so average like they just don't they don't have that dynamic uh receiver like they did last year with kyle pitts and Kadarius tony and and emory jones just looks really limited it's like they're i don't know, like like they're getting the most out of emory jones it's like he's playing well for for how for how good he can play but he's just he's limited and it's so obvious how limited this florida offense is yeah well, we shall see. We shall see. But I feel like we we got to have a conversation about Dan Mullen, right? Like, 
how often, like, how long can we continue to call this guy a great head coach? Like, is he on the hot seat in any way? Do you think no. You don't no. think this game puts him on the hot seat? I mean, can you get anyone better right now if you're Florida? But that's that's not the fan's job, right? Like, there's good coaches out there. Like, you can find someone better. Like, Florida, obviously we've talked about the recruiting so much with Florida, but it's it's because it's it's a realist it's a real problem. You know, you, you live in the you're in the state with the most talent of any team in the entire country and you're consistently getting like tenth ranked recruiting classes or so, which don't sound bad, but when it's the fifth or sixth class in the SEC every year, that's just not how you build a championship team. And like I, I brought I proposed this question last year, like the after the LSU, after the shoe game, that we could be pointing that to be like one of the worst losses I can remember, like in, in recent history in college football and just terms of like the context, like up there with the, the Boise state lost to Nevada that one year, right? Like just the, the, the gravity of that loss, just what it cost the university and everything. Like since that loss, Florida is one in five against power five competition. Like in the last six games, there's power five teams, which granted two of those are Alabama. But last six games versus Power Five teams, they're one in five, and like that's that's alarming stretch for like any time. Like I just I feel like Dan Mullen is like we constantly hear he's he does more with less than anybody, but at some point the less talent like that's an indictment on Dan Mullen. Like he like Emory Jones has been in his system for four years now, and this guy just looks just so average. And I don't know this this Florida team. Like, if this is what they're going to do, like, against Kentucky, like, what are we expecting next week in in Death Valley? Like, I just – well, that's – they might play Vanderbilt and then LSU two weeks from now. But I don't know. I think you have to have a lot of worries about this Florida team. Like, you're in year four. They obviously – they could beat Georgia and right the ship and everything. But right now, I think 90% of the country is going to pick – Georgia to beat Florida like you're going nine and three at best in year four and I, I mean I could see LSU beating this team like they could be eight and four like what does an eight and four or nine and three season do to Dan Mullen's job security Matt are we forgetting that he almost won a national title last year he almost won a national title he they were eight and four what I'm saying is national title in terms of like he he played Alabama better than anybody else did last year. Like he played the best but, team in the country better than anybody else played them last year. That is I a mean, national yeah, title. If you play Alabama the best, cool. how many Matt, how many Kirby Smart titles are you giving for for playing Alabama better than anyone hey, else in the country? Banners uh, last have, forever. Almost beat Kirby Saban. Trophies for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, saying, well, Mullen's also beaten Saban. Like that's the difference. Mullen's beaten him. Mullen's never beaten Saban. Yes, he has. Not as a head coach. Well, we're not talking about as a head coach. We, he, we can include him as an OC. Kirby's never played Saban as an <laughs> assistant. Like, it doesn't, that doesn't matter. Like, yeah. I'm just saying. Like, no, I'm, I'm being facetious when it might, comes to the national title. Great. All I'm saying is that was a really great group. He had a really, really great team last year. They lost in some dumb ways with the shoe and other stuff like that. He beat Georgia last year. He beat Kirby last year. Um, he does these dumb things, and the Emory stuff has hurt them, but... When it's good, it's good. They played Alabama really, really well this year. They played Bama better than Ole Miss did, and Ole Miss fans are happy with Kiffin. They are going to play end up playing Ole Miss, or Alabama better than most teams played them again this year. So I think he's a really good coach. 
He's still a top 10 coach, but he still struggles with recruiting. That's got to got to be fixed at some point if you're going to really really compete year over year but um maybe move on from grantham as part of it too uh i think they're like 24 25th in defensive efficiency as of this recording but no he's fine right now unless you're going to blow me out of the water with some like all-time great name i i think i would keep riding with mullen for a little while longer the old miss is also in year two of lane kiffin and like they have way different expectations in Florida. Like this mm-hmm. is year four of Florida. Like I know Mike Griffith is like a super like polarizing Georgia beat writer. And I don't necessarily agree with a lot of things he says, but the one thing I think he's spot on it with is that, that Dan Mullen is like, is successfully like kind of lowered the expectations at Florida. That no, everyone, I don't, I don't think know how so. many times during that game I heard there is no coach that's better at, at using the talent he has to get the most out of his team. And it's just like, they just scored 13 points versus Kentucky. Like, <laughs> he's a QB whisperer or whatever. It's like Emory Jones doesn't look good. Like maybe he's getting, maybe he's designing the best system for this guy to work in. But like this guy's done five touchdowns, six picks. Like the offense is has not been great. So it's like at some point that's a reflection on Dan Mullen. Like he's a great play caller and everything, but there's so much more to running a football program. And I don't know. Like I think Florida fans, like a nine and three, eight and four, like. Year four now, like year four, this is all Dan Mullen's guys at this point. Like it just, you shouldn't be getting worse from year three to year four. And it's also the best offense they ever had in like Florida history. That team went eight and four. Like that's in a weird year, COVID year. And they were in it. They had, they lost late against a really great Texas A&M team that finished in the top five. They played Bama close. They beat Georgia I don't know. I think we're overreacting. Let me see. Give me another year of this. If they're looking like this with Richardson for a full year next year, then uh, then I'll readdress. But um, as of right now, I think it's fine. Um, Michigan, 38. Wisconsin, 13. Oof. Um, Wisconsin is bad, bad. One in three now, Matt Green. Yeah, Wisconsin. Do you know what the Wisconsin – the diff- scoring differential in the fourth quarter is for Wisconsin so far this year. Lay it on me. I, mag- I imagine you don't just off the top of your head. No. <laughs> um, Wisconsin's getting outscored 65 to 20 in the fourth, quarter, fourth quarter this year. Oof. Got outscored again, 18 to seven in this one by Michigan. Like this Michigan just kind of, this was an ugly game. And I feel like every Wisconsin, I bet like we say that about every Wisconsin game, but yeah, they just, they just don't look good, and without Graham Mertz, I imagine it's not getting any better. No. I mean, Harbaugh gets beating Wisconsin at Wisconsin office back. I guess that's a positive. But, uh, yeah, this Wisconsin team has real problems. Mertz got hurt in this game. That might be a good thing if they get somebody else in there. But, man, Wisconsin, it is, it's bad for Paul Chris crew there. Um, Mississippi State in a stunner, 26 a&M 22, man. Okay, so I'm writing about this tomorrow, actually, where I was thinking about this with Tennessee and Georgia, where, like, part of the cool thing about having a veteran, and you think about these different big-time programs that can turn to somebody if somebody gets hurt, because quarterbacks are asked to do a lot more, they take a lot more hits, they do a lot more RPO stuff than they did in years past, and lower leg injuries like Haynes King had happened to him can happen more often. It's not necessarily about having more five stars behind them, but if you can have, everyone needs a Hendon Hooker. Everyone needs a Hendon Hooker as the backup. You need a Brian Maurer in there. 
Um, that's who they needed in this game. A Stetson Bennett, if you will. They need a Stetson Bennett because Zach Calzada <laughs> is just another young guy, another young, unproven guy, and he stinks. And he's destroyed this season. And it's not his fault. He didn't win the job. He's like, I didn't ask for this. I wanted to carry the clipboard. But, like, it's <laughs> it's bad. It's bad, bad, bad. And Jimbo's play calling in this game is not great. But, like, this is why you need a competent, older backup that you can turn to. You need the veteran fifth-year senior that you get in the portal. Like, every team, like, high-powered team, every high-powered program that has national title aspirations needs to hit up the portal and make sure you have a transfer from somewhere who you can plug in for a four game stretch or whatever that can do something well see i think that's where you're wrong though Mm. is that i think the portal is is the last place you can address this specific issue okay because no one's going to the portal to be to be a backup anywhere right especially at the quarterback well if you're a grad transfer and you're just taking a fly that's what i'm saying like if you're a grad transfer it's true i mean how good of a player is someone like that gonna be who's just like cool not playing his senior year in college right Mm. it's like the only way to address this i feel like it's just well like alan bowman right pile recruits right and just hope that if you got five on the roster that one of them is a serviceable backup yeah well, but this, this A and M team looks so bad right now, though. Like it's kind of it's kind of insane. I I thought about this while watching uh, this weekend. Do you know what they were ranked last week uh, going in before they got upset by Arkansas? Uh, were they ninth? They were ranked seventh. Seventh, okay. It is possible for them to go from being the seventh ranked team in the country in week four to finishing the season as the seventh best team in the SEC West. Cool. Like, right now, like, if you're making your power rankings, A&M's the worst team in the West, in my book. Like, I think Mississippi State, like, they're probably near the bottom of the West. They just beat them, you know? It's like, Mississippi State's probably six. You know, I don't even know after that. It might be LSU at five, Arkansas four, Auburn somewhere in there. Ole Miss at two, I guess. I'm not sure. The SEC West is so unpredictable right now. Like, I was thinking about this this weekend. Who is the second best team in the West? I think, first of all, you need to put some respect on my guy Bo Nix's name. Mm. You you love to hate on some Bo Nix. No, he's obviously not my guy. But Bo Nix was doing stupid stuff this weekend. He may have had the um, college football quarterback play of the century. I mean, that that was just incredible, the way this guy was running around making plays. But Seneca Wallace out there. (laughs) <laughs> right? Auburn could legit be the second best team in the SEC West by the end of the year. I think that's like, possible, yeah. Like, this con- this division is just, we're used to, like, five ranked teams being in the SEC West. Right now, we might only end up with, like, two or three by the, by the time they all start beating each other. And, like, I really have no idea who's going to be, like, Arkansas was the second highest ranked one. Ole Miss was third. But I have no idea how this conference is going to shake out. It, it should be really fun to watch. Yeah, the SEC West is just a, it's just bonkers. Um, someone keeps I forgot who it was I was talking about on the broadcast yesterday of just like the SEC is just it's still the deepest conference in college football. I'm like, well, no, it's not. The SEC West is the deepest division in college football. I don't know if you've checked on the SEC East lately, but uh, South Carolina tried to give away a game against Troy this weekend. Vanderbilt highlighted the toilet bowl against UConn, which was an absolute delight. Watched a bunch of that. You have Florida. I'll really, admit, st- I'll admit it. I, I turned on the end of that game. And yes. I was, I was not proud of it. But, you know, <laughs> it's like I have to see how this ends. 
college football. Like it's for the college football sickos. But yeah, Mizzou, awful. Like the SEC East is not not a good division whatsoever. The Big Ten is the deepest conference in college football this year. Um, that's silly. But um, Oklahoma State twenty four, Baylor fourteen. Um, Oklahoma State keeps keep moving on. I, I cannot wait for Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. I hope they're both undefeated when they when they get matched up. How how many weeks are we away from that? Are they, do they play the last week of the season usually? I don't even remember off the top of my head. Um, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. Yeah, they usually play the last yeah. week of the year. Uh, Bedlam. Um, yeah, I I. I uh, underestimated uh, T Boone Pickens Stadium. You, you did know, that that atmosphere they're given. I just buying into Baylor so far that through the start of this year. They just look so good offensively and defensively. But uh, Cowboys can play. They stifled them. This one shocked me. Arizona State forty two, UCLA twenty three. Um, UCLA shut out in the second half. Great defensive performance from Arizona State. Offense was clicking with Jaden Daniels. Um, suddenly, the Pac-12 South is Arizona State's for the taking. Yeah, that's uh, that's shocking to me. I uh, I was not expecting this at all. UCLA, like that that opening win over LSU or wins over Hawaii and LSU are uh, are a distant memory right now. Three and two, not the worst thing. But Jaden Daniels looked really good in this game. He only had to attempt. 19 passes ran a bunch um ricky purcell is just a star he had two tds average of 33 yards per catch um yeah ucla's defense got shredded here a little bit um auburn we mentioned that play 24 winning in death valley for the first time in forever auburn 24 lsu 19 matt green what do you make of this one um yeah like we kind of mentioned uh, a second ago like I have no idea, like, necessarily, like, this is clearly a down LSU team, right? But in year one of a brand new coach, like, there's been so much kind of extra extra talk about Harson, you know, kind of off the field this, this offseason and everything. And, you know, him not being an SEC guy, just kind of, like, having an uphill battle on, like, kind of winning over this fan base. Going into Death Valley and getting the, the first win in 22 years, like, like that is a huge... That's a huge feat right there. Like, I think, like, even if it's a down LSU team, like, you cannot convince one Auburn fan in the entire country that that was not a huge win. And especially with Bo Nix, like, just the uncertainty of, you know, him getting benched last week and and TJ Finley maybe taking his spot, for him to come out and play the way he did, just under constant pressure, like, this is a huge win for Auburn. Like, it really... Like, they're not going to win anything this year, right? Like, there's nothing – they're not winning the SEC West. They're not winning the SEC or they're not going to compete in the playoff. But this this salvaged, like, this this like this car staying on the right tracks, right? This train staying on the tracks. Like, this could end up being a 10-2 type season, a 9-3 and three type season, and that's 100% of success for, for, for Brian Harson in year one. So – I was uh I feel like it was just a gutty win. I was not expecting Auburn to go into Death Valley, so it's it's big time. Setting up a setting up a big time three thirty CBS game next week with Georgia. Mm. Um is it in Auburn or Georgia this this year? It's at Auburn. Okay. Um my team, the Wake Forest, Demon Deacons, their march to the college football playoff continues. They survive the Louisville Cardinals 37-34. Um, we can combine this with the other ACC game. Clemson 19, 
BC 13. Any strong thoughts on either of these two? Man, I'm just not sure how many weeks in a row Clemson is just going to like mess around and have one of these tight games at the very end. Like it's just, they've done this. I mean, literally every game just about just been a one score game in the fourth quarter. Like, seeing them drop out of the top 25 for the first time since 2014 like it's crazy like i saw a tweet earlier today like imagine if before the season started someone would t- tell you by week six michigan would be in the top 10 and clemson would be unranked like mm. that's just that's insane it's also insane just how much they've lost like they've lost a bunch of dudes like they have had this season from hell with transfers injuries like everything uh, like no one's gonna be shedding any tears for uh clemson for little, for little clemson yeah uh, <laughs> but they have had a rough year dj ugalehi so he was in the field until almost 1 a.m after saturday by the way he was still working out taking it hard he is he is trying he is he is trying um it's weird though man clemson and oklahoma have just been just completely bizarre this year completely bizarre um we also had Iowa and Maryland we talked about Hawkeyes have gone 27 consecutive games without yielding 25 points the longest streak among power five teams let's you know what let's schedule Iowa Georgia next week let's go ahead and get that on the calendar something's got to give there let's let's do that let's do Iowa Georgia I'm next all week for it yeah they, they had five more picks they forced seven turnovers in this game they're now <laughs> plus 12 in turnover margin first in the country Give me the Hawkeyes there. But that's the thing about Georgia. I feel like Georgia, if they had to line up and get in a shootout with someone, I feel like they could win that way. And if they had to get in a, a 10 to 6 game with Iowa, I feel like they could win that game too. I feel like they're just a, a complete team. Tennessee, Mizzou will wrap up there. Um, Tennessee destroy 62 points on the Mizzou Tigers. Um, this game was over early in the first. Um, this was the biggest week five projection error from BCF Toys. Do you ever do you do you keep up with that? I think I sent you that one, right? Uh, I do not. Okay, great. It keeps up with all the. It's it's a great stat site. Like BCS Toys is fantastic. Um, I highly encourage you to check it out. But yeah, it's bcftoys.com. You want to get some great college football stats. It has points per drives, FEI rankings, available yards, yards per play, game splits, all that kind of stuff. Um, so. Tennessee Georgia had the highest or Tennessee Mizzou had the biggest air projection air for their algorithm for this week for how they expected a game to go 39.4 off that makes sense because that is definitely not how I expected that <laughs> game to go like I thought Tennessee was gonna win but mm. man just scoring the way they did that was a uh, that was crazy it was just in Nooker just he's he makes all the throws he needs to. He doesn't throw picks. He's efficient. He doesn't turn the ball over. He knows when to run. Tion Evans is just an absolute star. Um, they have the explosive plays. They hit downfield. A lot of big bombs. Um, Heupel loves explosive plays. He loves going deep. The defense is getting a lot better. Um, just a lot to like. A lot to like about the Tennessee balls as of right now. But uh, yeah, South Carolina on the docket this weekend. I'll be there with the fam. Uh, excited for that one. I'm excited for Luke Doty to throw the ball out of the end zone or something this week. I'm excited to to see some South Carolina fans come in here and just uh, 
uh, just the the absolute sadness that uh, they're in for because I think uh, it's going to be I think South Carolina's worse than Mizzou, so I'm guessing that uh, it's not going to be a good good weekend for for the Gamecocks and yeah, Knoxville. I think South Carolina is worse than Mizzou, so it should be a good weekend for uh, for the Volunteers. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we're going to take a quick break for a message from our sponsors, and we'll do our add a sticker, remove a sticker. All right, we are back on this Sunday night edition of the Chase Downs Podcast, where I'm still joined by Matt Green. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Uh, Matt, it's time for add a sticker, remove a sticker. Our last segment on our Sunday night show I'm adding Tion Evans, 92-yard touchdown. Should have had four TDs. Is this a weekly? Is this a weekly thing? Tion Evans, just every week he's getting. How many stickers can this guy get? He, you, you can get as many stickers as you want. This is <laughs> like you. The, there's no rule on the helmet sticker. If you want to, if we remove a sticker, can we remove another sticker? How does that work? I mean, you can remove a sticker if you gave him one a previous <laughs> week. If he has a bad week, yeah, I could do it. He cost Tennessee a game. I can do it. Uh, Kirby's son gets a sticker from me. The what's funny sign? Yeah. Got Hilarious. Yeah. For the context, Nolan Smith, you know, had that comment where of... Not you know, Nolan Smith. For... Not The Duke guard had nothing to do with this. No, that's his name. Nolan Same name. Nolan I thought Smith it was Traylon the... Smith. No, I'm talking about for Georgia. Oh, I thought you about the running back for Arkansas. The running okay. back for Arkansas. Is Smith his last name? Yes. Yeah, um, but yeah, Nolan Smith said, I didn't even put together that him and the Duke player have the same name, honestly, <laughs> so he just said that. Um, that if they're even if they're playing the New England Patriots, they're going to try to keep him out of their end zone or whatever. And so he had, like, the laughing emojis about it. And so, obviously, Georgia's not going to keep the Patriots out of the end zone if they were to play them. But it is, uh, it is a pretty tight flex to say something like that and come out and shut out the opponent, especially after they were given the laughing emojis. So, uh Georgia players were having a lot of fun on social media after that. And it's a good thing they were having fun after the game, mm. not before the game. Oh, shots fired at Lane like, Kiffin. No, not, not Lane Kiffin. Shots fired at the 2018 Georgia team. Oh. Before the uh, before the Texas game, they were real chirping on social media and then and then got beat in the Sugar Bowl. So it's good to see them talking after the game. So There you go. Bo it Nicks. also reminded me yeah. of the uh, the old man football thing with Missouri back in the day, <laughs> carrying the signs around. That was a that was a good one. Mm. Um, Bo Nix for that insane play and winning in Death Valley. He gets a sticker this weekend, um, and then you have a couple stickers. Oh uh, yeah, got to give a sticker to Will Rogers mm. uh, for Mississippi State. Granted, I've al- I've also um, you know I've downplayed how good. Uh, Texas A&M actually is, but still a big win for Mississippi State. And Will Rogers is just throwing the ball all over the place. Like this guy's completing like almost eighty percent of his passes on the year. Like it's just absurd. He completed seventy-eight percent in this game alone. What was he? Forty-six of fifty-nine. So they have absolutely zero running game, and Will Rogers was making plays. And then um, we kind of touched on the Iowa defense, just how many turnovers they're getting. So Zeus and I were uh, were dead wrong on the uh, on the home dog of the week, and that Iowa defense got to give him a shout out. Mm. Well, there you go, there you go. Remove a sticker. Sam Pittman, Lane Kiffin, big opportunities for both coaches to make a statement, put a dent 
the Georgia Alabama dominance, and they both failed in a really, really grandiose, grandiose way. Um, Zach Calzada, for obvious reasons, makes this list once again. The Wisconsin offense, I just, I'm giving it collectively this week. Michigan, I, I mean, Michigan's doing some stuff defensively, but man, uh, not good, not good. Um, and your remove a sticker, you're, you're going after a coach here. Well, well you got to... You beat me to one of these, so we can honestly take two helmet stickers okay. away from Zach Cow's. Like, <laughs> Sugar Hill, Georgia. Like I like that you're repping it, but um, yeah, A and M's offense is just so bad, and it's hard. It's hard to point to anything other than Calzada, which just because we kind of know how loaded and how ready to win now this team kind of was at all the other positions and, I, and on defense. So hate to put it all on him, but. Yeah, A&M does not look good. And then, um, yeah, my other helmet sticker got removed. Dan Mullen, man. I'm putting him on putting him on the spot. Like, going up and losing at Kentucky, like, he was getting a lot of praise for the, the close loss to Alabama. And I'm not even saying it was undeserved because, you know, this Alabama team is great. And I thought he did a great – had a great coaching job in that game. But, uh, but dropping the second game already of the season before you've even played Georgia – like this is looking like it could be a three and four, uh, three or four loss team potentially this year, and that's that's not what you want in year four at a place like Florida. Mm. There you go, there you go. Uh, did you catch a high school game this weekend, Matt Green? Um, you know it. Did you really? No. I didn't. Oh, oh. <laughs> you got me excited. You got me excited. No, I had the uh, parents over for the weekend. Um, not like over it, but like for the Georgia game, and so we were uh, we were doing all kinds of uh, meal prep and like cooking stuff on Friday night for the uh, for the noon kickoff because you know Kirby said we had to be early and we had to be rowdy, so we had to make sure we were up up early, get the dogs a nice long walk, um, and and we're ready for ready for the weekend. Whoa, what was on the menu for this weekend? What were y'all cooking? Oh, so are you familiar with like twice baked potatoes? No. Oh man, twice baked potatoes are like my jam in general. But apparently, okay. you just you just bake a potato, uh-huh. like scoop all the insides of it out, and then like mix in you know like cream cheese, like all kinds of sour cream, like all kinds of stuff, bacon and stuff like that. Mm, and very then, healthy like, stuff. Yeah, for sure. You <laughs> snub it back in the potatoes, and then you like cook it again. You know. So I kind of melt the cheese and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like that's a twice baked potato. So Tori does these twice baked potato bites with like these little smaller potatoes, mm. and they're they're fire. <laughs> and some buffalo chicken dip, like uh-huh. it's fire. It's good. Some excellent excellent cuisine. My uh, my IBS flared up as you were running running through that. Oh man can't handle that no i that's that's a lot i don't know i don't know maybe i i don't know not in my old age matt green i'm not <laughs> sure i'm not sure um but like i said i saw oak ridge with the fam actually in uh with in person with uh powell on the docket but uh powell beat the beat the tar off the oak ridge wildcats this this past weekend not a not a great showing from oak ridge powell's got a player at quarterback too can move around do some stuff but uh friday night lights still great still great I, I had to go back to atlanta temporarily for a dental emergency type thing uh middle of last week for a day and uh got my parents involved in title town so i think they're hooked i think they're probably done with it by now title town high it's great stuff could watch it every night <laughs> i think i'm gonna start falling asleep to it it's great 
Rush preps. I'm trying to talk. I don't, uh, think, I don't think your dreams need that. I'm Rush trying to preps. talk my. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to talk the sports renaissance woman into allowing me to name uh, the next dog Rush Probst. Like that's a that's a big thing for me. Is that I want to be able to just yell at Rush Probst, Thomas. <laughs> I feel like you gotta go one or the other. Go Probst or go Rush. People, yeah. Too much thing. You're a big Rush fan. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other one I've always wanted to do is Offset. Offset was something that I've always wanted to yell out at a dog park and see if anyone gets it. Because if you have to call your dog and just being like, you're familiar with the the local Atlanta rap group, Migos, correct? I've heard of such things. Uh huh. And you know what they do in the beginning of the songs? They just say the name of the song multiple times. Or the name of the artist who's about to hop on the track. Oh, yeah. So it's like, Offset! And I just want to... Uh, I want to yell offset at dog parks. It's, a, it's an important thing, which is a great reason to get a dog, just so you can shout out a, a name over and over again in a, in a public setting. That's what that's what the good the, folks the want. The nicknames are important for a dog, though. Those are the things you don't think about until they have the name. kind of becomes a permanent name. Like uh, Maddox, like that's his name. Mm-hmm. I pretty much call him Mad Dog. Oh. Because like, that's what you always call it, Greg Maddox, you know? Yeah. So, like, it's, a, it's definitely a good nickname. Does he know both? Um, he, his, his, uh, his retention is questionable. <laughs> you know, who knows? Is Zeus or Maddox smarter? Um, honestly, I feel like Maddox is smarter. I feel oh, like he no. seems like in a mischievous type of way. Like he's smarter than we are. Like he, <laughs> I don't know. He seems like he's up to something. And Zeus is like almost nine. Like he's just like, he's chilling. He's wise, you know? <laughs> So he's, don't get me wrong, he's not dumb, but uh, he just, I feel like he, he seems like the person, you know, you had those friends growing up that'd be like, man, y'all play too much. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like that's who Zeus is, like, y'all play too much. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Uh, Matt Green, we can follow you on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Follow myself at Chase double underscore Thomas. If you like listening to Matt and I talk college football twice a week on this very feed, Make sure to hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Subscribe to the newsletter, sportsrenaissancemand.substack.com. Email us at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Go visit Chase Thomas Podcast today uh, if you have not already. Matt, I will talk to you in a couple days. More college football on the horizon. Tennessee rolling, Georgia rolling, Tier 1 basically the same thing between knoxville and athens same kind of stuff cooking uh people are saying (laughs) not myself but people are saying i will talk to you in a couple days my friend (laughs) yes sir all right hello and welcome back as the sunday night baseball edition of the chase house podcast Returns because oh, and Khaleesi the dog is excited about the Major League Baseball playoffs getting started this week. Our teams are both in the postseason. Stacy Gatsoulias of Locked On Yankees is here. Stacy, two playoff teams on this podcast. Are you excited? Uh, well, yes. Mm. I'm excited that the Yankees made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I'm not excited because you know they could be knocked out in one game, but um. Yeah, oh, God, the, the weekend was just really annoying. The whole game was annoying, but we had something in our corner. Um, 
my father passed away seven years ago today, and whenever the Yankees play on October 3rd, past that point, they win. They've won wild card games, and now they won today. So I knew Gus was going to pull through. I knew it was going to happen. Just it took a lot longer than I thought it would. <laughs> That's awesome. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, do you have a rooting interest for how tonight goes? Uh, hmm. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't. No. No. Mm-mm. You you wouldn't feel great about Mariners Yankees. No. Okay. Not at all. I don't want. Uh, there's a reason I don't want the Mariners in the playoffs. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> are you really worried about the Mariners? It's like Yankees fans who are like, well, I don't want to keep getting the Twins because one of these times they're going to get us. Right. And then they right. never get you. I always think that way too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always think that you know, twenty years is a long time for a team to be beating up on another team. And, um, no, the Mariners, you know, they're that kind of sneaky team that can, you know, run into one late in the game if, you know, their pitching is holding you down. Like, they have guys like that. I mean, the Yankees theoretically also have guys like that, but, you know, apparently they don't like playing like that. But, yeah, I was uh, very happy that the um, four-way tie did not happen because... (laughs) That just would have been too much for me. Jeff Passan outlining it on Twitter last night was was a lot for me because I was looking through mm-hmm. it and just like like who gets to pick who they play depending on how it goes like that was weird and just the the potential uh, just chaos that we could have had pretty pretty remarkable. I mean we're still gonna like the fact that there's this many teams still in the race um, this late in the season is good. Uh, this is like the best benefit of the wild card game is just having. Uh, more teams with things to to play for and to prove and it's cool to see teams go to the end and some teams just sputter out at the worst possible time like the a's and um to just uh you know i think it's cool i i think the the wild card game is a an unmitigated success but i also really hope they don't expand more uh, after next year i hope that's not where we're going i hope that they they don't overindulge this and just be like well look at all these awesome teams that pushed it towards the end. What if we just included all of them instead of making it heartbreaking for a couple of these teams and friend uh, and fan bases that come up just short of the wild card game? Cause I'm concerned they're just going to be like, Oh, that they're, they're right there. So there's only a game or two separating them. So we should include all of them instead, uh, which defeats the whole purpose of said wild card game and the, the chaos that this gives us this week. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, how would you feel about maybe the regular season not being as long and the wild card round being three games like it was last year? Three is okay, I guess. I mean, I would still prefer, like, I think I'm alone because based on other baseball people, it seems like the general consensus is they prefer um, the three game wild card and that's Mm -hmm. more fair. But my whole thing is like, I, I am not a proponent of fairness in wild card games or in overtime. I think fairness belongs in regulation i think fairness belongs for division winners i think fairness belongs for people that do it over a long period of time and if you put yourself in a position where you're a wild card team or you're an overtime or an extra innings or whatever like i don't think the stake should still be even i I like that it makes it more difficult and it makes it less fair because it you should want to finish things in the regular season. You should want to win the division so that you don't find yourself in this predicament. Um, I don't like fairness well, when it comes ma- to this. Oh, no, I don't think they could make it where all three all three games would be at the the better team's venue. <laughs> that would be a little bit way unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I I don't know. I like I like the wild card games when my team isn't involved, but mm. lately that's it. you know the Yankees just won their ninth wild card since the wild card started, and um, this will be their fourth wild card game, right? 2015, mm-hmm. 2017, 2020, 2021. So, or well, last year was a series, but still, it was it's it's their third wild card game, and it's mm. just <sighs> I don't like it. I like watching other teams' fans go through um, crazy times. That's why I went, like, other ye- years, I'll root for chaos. Like, like mm-hmm. you know, earlier this season, you know, a couple months ago, we were talking about wanting chaos in the NL West, and then that mm-hmm. fell by the wayside. And um, <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were hoping, like, maybe the the Padres would come out of nowhere, and then yeah. they, they finished, what, 79 and 83, Oof. and, you know, the Dodgers and the Giants finished a game apart. I mean, it's unbelievable that a team with 105 wins is going to be in the wild card game. <laughs> against a team that's only in the wild card game because they won like 18 games, 17 games in a row. So it's just baseball is amazing when you think about it. <laughs> I enjoy it. That's something I enjoy. And I like the the craziness that that is. And some people are like, well, see, how is that fair? Let's get rid of divisions and just go one through, like just go best record up on down. And that's how we can do things. But I'm like, eh, I kind of like that it's not fair and that the Dodgers have to suffer a little bit, even though they, they won 100 games. I like that they're having to, to sweat it out against a, a Cardinals team, um, potentially in the NL wild card game. And then the Braves Brewers, I have no idea what to make of that series yet. I, I think it's going to be really low scoring. I don't think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think uh, um, it's not going to get a lot of coverage either. Two things are true. I think the Braves and Brewers are not getting a lot of a lot of casual fans to tune into that series. Maybe if Acuna was there, it'd be a little bit different, but I still don't think so. It's just uh, that's going to be a quiet one that does not get picked up by ESPN and Fox and everything. I don't think they're going to be jumping at the bit to talk about uh, that series and what Ian Anderson looks like. I don't think uh, there is a bunch of Austin Riley buzz going on nationally, but um, that does not mean that I won't be excited about it. I just don't think America will be excited about it. If you had to rank, Stacey, like the most exciting series um, for you based on how it looks right now, We'll exclude the AL wild card because it, we still don't know that. What What do you think they are? Um, I would say. Let's let's see. Wait, who's playing? Is it the? <laughs> how is it lining up? Is it the Ray? Who are the Rays playing? Emma, they are playing. TB. They get the wild card winner. Right. So that oh, Astros White Sox. Eh, no, the Astros are going to beat the White Sox. The yeah. White Sox aren't. You know, the White Sox plays against a weak division and the Astros will expose that and they'll be annoying and they'll probably sweep and everyone will hate them more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like the better series will be, I mean, Dodgers-Giants. If the Dodgers wins, if the Dodgers win the NL wild card and then they have to play the, right? Wouldn't they yes, play they the Giants? Yes, they would play the Giants, because, yep. Yeah, so I think that one, mm. if that happens. I mean, you know, there could be Cardinals-Devil Magic and they could win and then... That could also be an interesting matchup because wouldn't it be something if the Cardinals, who, you know, finished on a roll, basically, come in and demolish two teams that finished with over 105 or 105 wins? That's crazy. Yeah. I uh, I don't know. I, I think Dodgers-Giants, Cardinals-Giants, just to bring us back to early 2000s uh, <laughs> playoff baseball, uh, to get us thinking about Albert Pujols and Barry Bonds and... Mm. Um, I don't know. I feel like I grew up watching a lot of Cardinals, Jim Edmonds, and Barry Bonds, Giants, and um, uh, who, what, I'm trying to think. Was it Carlos Guillen? Who was it? Was it 
who was the was it Jose Gant? Huh? Let me think. Who am I thinking of in the middle of that early? It's one of them. Am I okay? I'm not misremembering that, right? I think so. Okay. I didn't really pay attention. JT to Snow. <laughs> oh yeah, JT Snow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just remembering some guys. Aaron Rowan. I don't know if he was on that. Um, Pat Burrell. Let's just name some giants on this podcast. A lot of. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Padres. You mentioned them, Stacy. They fired their manager, Jace Tingler. It was up in the air. They've we've talked in this podcast about them cleaning house. Uh, with the front office, AJ Preller is safe, but they're shaking up a lot of stuff behind the scenes. They finish below 500. No one saw that coming. We, mm. We've talked ad nauseum about why that happened. A lot of it was out of their control. A lot of it was just horrible, horrible, horrible luck. And I don't know what the baseball gods disliked about the Padres this year, but clearly something um, set them off. But yeah, the, the Padres move on. And a lot of GMs don't get this many cracks at manager and AJ Preller is getting another one um, post Andy Green, post uh, Jace Tingler. I don't know who the next manager is going to be in San Diego, but I mean, this is still a great managerial job, right? Like this is something where you're like, if you're any type of manager, veteran, young, never managed before ever, like the Padres is still a great job. Even with the Dodgers and the Giants in your division, like the talent is still just crazy across the board. And also They've traded everybody away in their farm system where it's like, this team's ready to win now. This is the the Dave Dombrowski special where it's like, we have uh, we are ready to to win this thing and we are all in and unfortunately it did not work this year. But there's no reason to believe that the Padres can't bounce back and win 100 games next year, right? Right. They had a, bad, a lot of bad luck, bad injury luck. It just wasn't their year after quite an impressive offseason where they did the stuff that every other team should do. Mm. Um, it just didn't work out for them. I feel I feel bad for Tingler because it's not really his fault. I mean, you know, he didn't have any control over guys getting injured and weird things happening to that team. I also feel like them firing Larry Rothschild at the time that they did was very strange as well because after he left, <laughs> the pitching kind of went down the tubes. So... It was just a very odd year for them. And it will be interesting to see who takes over, um, who they hire. You know, I keep advocating for the Yankees to get rid of Aaron Boone, uh, preferably before the wild card game, but that's impossible. Um, you know, I have some Angel fan friends who can't stand Joe Madden. They would be thrilled if the Angels could get rid of him and he would go to the Padres. I mean, who knows how he would manage that team because he is kind of weird in mm-hmm. a way like he's very i don't know joe madden's just one of those weird guys who's very um like he feels like it, it feels like he should have been um a manager in the 60s mm-hmm. <laughs> with his with his hippy dippy stuff sometimes but um yeah it'll be interesting to see what the padres do um but i, I feel like it's unfair to chase tingler to fire him it wasn't really his fault but that's what happens in baseball you have to have a fall guy you do you do um buck showalter i've seen pop up here mm. i've seen ron washington pop up here mm. they've already bruce bochy has already been ruled out which you knew that was coming um right. if he was interested and that would be a great hire if he was interested but he is he is not um aaron boone if he gets really <laughs> uh yeah. i don't know i don't i really ron washington would be he's he's beloved by atlanta by the players 
um obviously been a manager before in texas um that would not be the most surprising but uh yeah i just i think this is an interesting job book show walter would be fascinating uh on san diego he's 65 Mm -hmm. um but this is a job where it's like i think whoever will learn a lot about how the padres see um see things and how they how they're thinking um in the short term based on who they hire as their next manager because if they go like a with a show walter or a someone in the bochi vein then that tells us that they're just like whatever it takes to win this year next year they're doing right. the tony Larusa thing where it's like we're, we're tired of dilly-dallying around we're getting a veteran voice in here i don't care if it combusts just when it's a ring before it combusts and then we'll figure it out later um or they take another flyer on a jay stingler type because they want to build something potentially that lasts and a manager that they believe can can be there for 10 to 15 years while a pseudo content so i'm very curious to see who it is but i'm sure um in the, in the next few weeks we'll we'll learn a lot more they got time to figure things out there um a story that i did not see coming <laughs> stacy hanley ramirez gearing up for a National League DH run, we it's it's widely expected the National League DH is coming probably next year. Um, it seems like that's a thing, which I'm excited about because that means Adam Duvall is a Brave uh, for the next 20 years. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's returning to Dominican Winter League this winter. And uh, yeah, he it, it looks like he wants to show at 37 that... Uh, he can still play and he can still be a valuable DH option. I I am here for this, Stacey. I am here for older superstar who, who sees the NLDH option. They're like, hey, remember me? I was awesome seven years ago. I can be DH for, for a little bit. I can DH for a couple of years to make some money and then go off into the sunset. Like I am I am here for a National League DH just for guys popping back up from our past and we're like oh no they're back bobby abreu getting in there okay bring him in let's go pat burrell can he still swing a bat let's let's do this um what do you what do you make of uh hanley coming back potentially yeah it's funny because uh my brother brought this up earlier and i said wait what really and uh yeah and then when i looked through what we were going to talk about i I laughed because i thought wow i can't even believe this is happening but you know what i feel like the DH is good just for that reason. I mean, mm. you see guys like Nelson Cruz who are, you know, DHing at 40 and still doing well for teams like the Rays. And, um, you know, a bunch of guys were able to DH into their 40s and do okay while they were doing it because, you know, you don't have to worry about playing the field. And if you can keep yourself warmed up in the dugout and you just step up to the plate and hit the ball, I mean, why not? I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I think it's going to be fun. And also just... The baseball purists who are adamantly opposed and uh, ostensibly against um, and and hate and loathe uh, the National League Universal DH stuff, um, go to a minor league game. Go to a college baseball game. It doesn't happen anywhere else. These guys are not doing this anymore. And then to just ask them to hit major league pitching and to add that back into their repertoire, I just... I don't understand it. It's it lost a long time ago. Maybe if they were still hitting in college, maybe if they were still hitting in high school, maybe if they were I mean they are a little bit, but like if they were still hitting through the minor league ranks, maybe. But they're not. And it's just uh it's just a waste. It it's just it's silly. It's silly. If you want to hit, go be Otani. That's your that's your qualification. If you want pitchers to still hit, they have to hit a third of what Shohei Otani can do. If not, no. No hitting for them. I don't care how many rockets Madison Bumgarner hits every now and then. Don't care. 
Um, <laughs> I, I don't need it. I don't need it. Uh, should Dodgers fans, Stacy, be nervous about losing Kershaw to elbow discomfort this close to the postseason? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes. I'm Clayton Kershaw of a few years ago, but it's always good to have Clayton Kershaw in your rotation, and losing him to anything is a bad thing. Yeah, but thankfully for them, or I shouldn't say thankfully because Dodgers, but Walker Bueller, they have dudes. It's not like Kershaw is the the dynamite here. You have Urias, you have Bueller, you have guys all across the board that can carry the burden, but you still want Kershaw in the fold, but he is not as intricate, I would say, to their playoff success as he's been in years past. So that's a nice thing for them. Um, Yeah. The Rockies continue being full Rockies. The the Montfort brothers are uh, just, they are, Stacy something else, I would say. Uh, the Montforts, you're not going to believe this, but uh, the Rockies going 55 and 51 since May 30th. Uh, insured, Bill Schmidt, who's been with the organization forever, um, got hired full-time, got the interim tag removed because the Rockies are rising. The Rockies, uh, seasons change. October is forever, Stacy. <laughs> God, the Rockies. I just the trade deadline was so funny because everyone slammed them for not doing anything. Mm-hmm. They had an opportunity to trade guys away and get good pieces, and they didn't do anything. They're just so horribly mismanaged. <laughs> Their ownership is horrible, and. Yeah, I mean, 55 and 51 since May 30, 30th, considering the division they're in and the teams they had to play. And, you know, I mean, it's not phenomenal, but it's not terrible, you know. Um, but, yeah, they're just bad from top to bottom in that front office, really. And, yeah, they deserve scorn for everything that they do, no matter what it is. <laughs> you know what's wild? He is only the fourth GM in club history. That is wild because they've been around a long time. <laughs> four that's bonkers to me and well, not that long but you know relatively speaking four just it's <laughs> it's so little and i mean they basically moved around different titles you know business speak where they baseball titles are all just made up now i mean sure. a lot of sports front office titles are just ridiculous they're preposterous if you ask them <laughs> to explain what this means and how it varies from this they would not be able to articulate it it's like when i love my dad if you ask my dad what he does and he tells you the title and you're like, okay, what does that actually mean? I would do this over the years. He's like, I, I, well, you do this and you do a little of that. And I'm like, okay, you, there, there's no specific uh, reason as to uh, give one this said title. Um, it's just funny. It's just, we use these words and it sounds, sounds great, but it's really just words out that doesn't mean anything. But the Rockies, they, so they promoted Danny Montgomery to vice president and assistant general manager of scouting a mouthful it's a lot going on there and have promoted (laughs) zach rosenthal to vice president and assistant general manager of baseball relations and assistant general counsel what do all these words mean what is it like a lot of different working parts and they've all been within the organization for a long time so basically they're like things are good but but why does one guy have so many titles can they (laughs) split that up into and have three people doing that why does he have three titles that's ridiculous um they also went back on That's their ridiculous. word yeah it is and they also went back because the rockies said there would be a search for a permanent gm that would not begin until after the 2021 season and guess what they did not do that 
it's shocking that the Rockies would be lying about anything. <sighs> I don't know. I, I just I feel bad for the for my rock fellow Rocky fans and Rockies listeners. Uh, we we're with you in solidarity with uh, <laughs> this nonsense. I just I wish I could be more optimistic, but this is one of the more depressing weekend news dumps from a major league baseball team that I've seen in a while where it's just like, Oh wow. They, they are not going to change anything anytime soon. This ownership's <laughs> bad. Like we think the rock, like the Rockies and the pirates are in this perpetual war, never ending war that, uh, I, I just, it, it's never going to end. It's just, uh, who can be more incompetent and cheap and, uh, depressing. And, uh, right now point for the Rockies. I think I told you that when we did our, well, I didn't do it, but I watched it, the live trade deadline show for Locked mm-hmm. On, the Rockies host was just beside himself. And he was one of, I think he was one of the co-hosts and they had him on for a while. And he mm. was just like, I don't even know what to say. Right. <laughs> I, I have no idea. They're like the only team that didn't do anything the entire trip like nothing they did nothing and he just was you know the dodgers host was making fun of him and the other nl west hosts were making fun of him and i felt so bad for him because he was just like i just wanted them to do something just something so i can't even imagine what that's like to watch that happen with your team and just see that things aren't going to change and you're going to be stuck in this perpetual dread (laughs) for how many years it's just bad i'm not gonna sugarcoat it rockies fans it's bad um and we'll see i mean trevor story we'll see what happens this winter but i'm going to guess he has played his last game as a colorado rocky um which he probably should have done in july right and gotten something (laughs) for him you know yeah because his trade value is pretty good then um early playoff matchup predictions the playoff start this week wednesday stacy um, we don't know the wild card outside of the NL. So give me your NL wild card pick. And then who do you think's winning their divisional series outside of the AL? The AL wild card too. So we don't know who the Rays will play yet. Oh, I mean, I'm, I really, the, God, the NL wild card game could go either way. It could be so embarrassing for the Dodgers, you know, I, I don't know because, you know, they were the team that everyone was like, oh, they're definitely going to win the NL West. And then the Giants came out of nowhere. And so they settled for the wild card, as we said earlier, with 105 wins. They're Mm -hmm. playing in a wild card game against a team that barely won 90 and or barely went over 90. And I really don't know who's going to win because there's it's such a crapshoot in wild card games, really. Like you really can't predict what's going to happen. It doesn't matter if the team uh, the number one wild card is 15 games better than the second wild card team because it's just that one game. Anything can happen. I I, I don't know why. I feel like the the Cardinals are going to pull this out somehow, in annoying fashion. Um, as for all the other, I, I don't know. The Braves and Brewers are interesting, as you said earlier. No one's going to pay attention to it outside of Atlanta and the and Milwaukee. Yep. It's going to be one of those series of people like, oh, right, I forgot they were playing. Um, the Battle of Petersons, find... Jace versus Jock. I don't right. think it's going to sell well. Right. <laughs> I find that to be an interesting matchup. And I actually, I'm looking forward to actually watching that because I don't really, I'll root for Atlanta for you. Oh, thank you. Because I... You know, I mean, I don't really care about the Brewers and mm-hmm. um, no offense to Brewers fans, um, but, 
you know, yeah, I think that'll be an interesting matchup. Um, this is the Ernie Johnson, Ernie Johnson Bowl, right? Like he has to call this entire series on TBS. <laughs> I think he's from Milwaukee originally. He moved out right. here to Atlanta when he was nine. We know the Atlanta connection. It's I, I think Ernie Johnson has to call this whole series. This is the Ernie Johnson uh, NLDS. Yeah, that'll be that's an interesting thing for him, mm-hmm. and I I hope it goes. I hope it's a good series, and I hope it goes the distance. You know, you always kind of want that to happen. You don't no. want to see sweeps happen. No, give because... me sweep. Nope. Less. <laughs> uh, no. Nope. Let's give me a sweep. Don't want do you, this to go. Do you think the Do you think the Braves can sweep the Brewers? <sighs> the Brewers are weird. Like when you look at their lineup, I don't know how they score runs. They're like the Rays of the NL, where their lineup stinks. Like every like if you go through their WRC plus, you go through how they're scoring, and I'm just like, I love their their pitching is legit. Like they're just gonna win two zero, and the Braves like. I I don't know. I, I could see the Braves sweeping, depending on how Anderson and Morton and the starters, how long they can go. But, I mean, mm-hmm. we'll see. Will Smith has been steady. He's just, he makes it really, really uncomfortable in the ninth. He, he's been steady, but he just makes it as uncomfortable as possible. You still got Luke Jackson there. Uh, Tyler Matzik. You got, you got dudes. Um, but, I don't know. I... The Braves are playing really, really good baseball at the moment, and the Brewers, I I love their, their top-of-the-line starting pitching, and they're just, uh, they feel a little crazy to me. So, I don't know. I think this will not be a sweep, but could I, if I had to pick between the two of them, who's more likely to sweep? Just because I believe in the Braves' offense more, I would mm-hmm. say it's going to be harder to, to sweep the, the Braves. Interesting. Yeah. But... The brace bullpen. I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens there. We'll we'll see. Um, <laughs> last thing, and we'll we'll wrap up here. The off season. It's it's nearing nearing for for a lot of teams, but it's already here for teams like the Baltimore Orioles. Stacy, um, I want to throw this at you each week. Different team who is in the off season. If you were the Baltimore Orioles, you're you you have you you have control over what they do this winter how do you how do you look at things if you're Michael Elias do you do you start spending a lot do you spend a little is there one person that you're eyeing like do you trade Mullins means or Mancini what do you do if you're the Orioles coming off the kind of season that you had see the Orioles are so odd because they have good pesky hitters in the lineup you know um you know, they can score some runs, you know, obviously when they run into teams like, you know, the Rays or like the Red Sox or whatever, although they did beat the Red Sox two out of three they did. earlier in the week. Um, I feel like they need pitching over everything else. Mm. Um, you know, they do have some good pitching, but they need to bolster the pitching. And I feel like the Orioles might not be that far away if they can make some good moves. Um, will they make good moves? Who knows? Um, <laughs> but I feel like unlike the Rockies and the pot uh, the pirates who feel like they're 30 years away from doing anything good. I feel like the Orioles are close, like close enough to be within striking distance of at least making the playoffs in the next two seasons, possibly mm-hmm. if they can do something with their team, because, um, yeah, they have a lot of pesky guys on that team that other teams would probably want, but probably couldn't get, but, um, yeah, I think pitching-wise, I think they need to look there because um, their lineup's not that terrible from what I've seen. It know, really isn't. Them, you know, 
beating the Yankees how many times this season? So annoying. Um, yeah, it, that it's it's so funny with the Yankees because I predicted they were going to win 95. They won 92. Mm. And if it weren't for a few bullpen explosions or implosions, if it wasn't for Aaron Boone being a dumbass on the third game of a series when they're looking for a sweep and putting out the C lineup, you know, like things like that, the Yankees could have won closer. And if they won maybe five more games against the Orioles, the Yankees would have been way closer to 100 wins. (laughs) It wasn't for that stuff. And it's just funny to think about. But yeah, like I said, the Orioles just need to make some moves. They don't have to like do any kind of overhaul because there is a pretty good foundation there with some of those players. And as I said, they're really only a couple of years away, I feel. Yeah, well, we'll see. It just depends on how the AL East goes. Like, they're just in such a tough spot. Like, they're in That's such... That's a tough division. I mean, up until how many hours ago, the Blue Jays could have made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like, it was. it's just, you know, think of four out of the five AL East teams could have made the playoffs. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, when you think about that, it's like, what? Like, or at least made it to a 163 to see who was going to be in the playoffs. So at least playing an extra game that isn't quite a playoff, but is a playoff. So, yeah, that's just the Orioles can't do anything about that. So they just have to, you know, get better and hope that one of the four above them falls off in some way and they can kind of sneak in and do something. So, yeah. Yeah, I I would not trade one like Mullins had an incredible year. Even if you don't think you can replicate that next year, I would mm. still hold on to him. Um, yeah. I would Mancini should be like your your bridge guy. I think um, even if he starts to fall in the next couple of years and you miss out on some value, like I I just think that it's something to have. Like he's not going to hurt your timeline. Uh, Mullins right. I don't think is going to hurt your timeline. Means you could sell me on. Like they have so much mm. youth. In their starting pitching, where I'm like, I, I don't know. You might need to just keep throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall with this pitching and see what sticks. Like, keep keep trading any success story and then go for the veterans. Like, I would look for more of the... You're not getting Max Schurz or anything, but, like, look for more of the veteran arms who you can bring in to help a lot of these young guys because I think that's something that's missing here. And yeah. I would be... If I was the, the Baltimore Orioles this offseason, I'm looking at some middle of the road B plus a minus starters innings eaters who can um, do some stuff, help out a lot of your young guys. Cause they were actually pitching pretty well in the month of August. Uh, it was either August, September. I was, I may have gotten this mixed up, but their, their youth and they had a lot of guys come up and get starts and their starting pitching was the best that it had been this season. And it was a bunch of young guys. So I think that is how I would approach it. Just see like Rob, the Robbie Rays of the world basically is what well, I would right. target. Someone like that. Yeah. They, that would be great. You, mm-hmm. There's a lot to be said for a veteran to come in and kind of help the young guys out. You know, it doesn't have to be, um, anyone who's like a former Cy Young winner, but if it's Mm -hmm. someone that's been around the block, knows how to pitch in, you know, sticky situations, big games, you know, not necessarily someone who's won like five World Series, but someone who's been there and done that and can show them what it's like and tell them what it's like and help them out. And that, that goes a long way. And it's, I feel like, uh, I feel like the Yankees were missing CC Sabathia's presence the last two seasons. Um, there's a lot to be said to have 
a veteran like that on your team who's going to call you out when you're bad, but also help you out when <laughs> you need it, you know? And I feel like a team like the Orioles can have someone like that. Obviously not CeCe because he's retired, but someone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Stacy, what uh, can we check out from you this week on Locked on Yankees? Well, it'll be a wild card game preview because it's the Yankees and Red Sox. They are set for Tuesday on ESPN. Gotta help us all. So, um, <laughs> yeah, um, I will, you know, obviously recap the weekend on Monday show, preview the wild card on Tuesday show, Wednesday show. We don't know what I'll be doing. Either I will be crying for 25 minutes about how awful this season was and how it ended, or I will be worried about the fact that the Yankees might be playing the Rays in another series. <laughs> So a whole lot of things depend on Tuesday, how the rest of the week is going to shake out for me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Stacy, we can play on Twitter at Stace Scotts. If the good folks have not already subscribed on YouTube, go to Locked On Yankees on YouTube, subscribe there. Uh, listen to Stacy and all the great Yankees coverage as this postseason gets underway on Locked On Yankees. Stacy, thank you as always for the time. I greatly appreciate it. And I will talk to you next week. You're welcome. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.